So this morning, uh, church, I have uh, three questions for you. And I want you, I mean, the answer should be obvious uh, in a church setting. And given what we've just heard, and especially if you've been to Sunday school. Uh, but I want to think how your life reflects these. And uh, in your life, what, it, what, what would other people answer about these three questions when they look at your life? So the first one is, where do you seek wisdom? Where do you seek wisdom? Is it uh, your mother or your father, a wise brother or sister, that uncle who always seems to know the right answer, a grandparent or an old college professor you'll ring up if you need some advice? Do you have a book that you go to or do you search the internet for advice? Perhaps you use a website like Quora or Yahoo Answers or even Reddit and you throw a question out there and you search through the dozen or so answers, ignoring the, the, the silly ones and then just picking out that right answer that, that happens to suit what you think. So where do you seek your wisdom? The second question is, where does your refuge lie? Where do you seek comfort? Where does your refuge lie? Where do you go to when you are in trouble? Or uh, you need uh, some help? The answer might be the same. It might be that person. Or it might be that you hide yourself in your condo or your, your house. Uh, it might be food. You might be a comfort eater or you might... Uh, wrap yourself up in your, your duvet and you might try and go to sleep. Um, I have to confess those last two are kind of my, my thing. A little bit of food, a little bit of, of sleep just to kind of relax myself. Maybe you escape to uh, doing exercise or that your house suddenly becomes very clean um, or you have a book that you escape to. Where does your refuge lie? In a crisis where do you go to? Who do you go to? And the last question is, what is your passion? What is your love? We all know that person who just talks about sport the whole time, or rugby, or football. Any conversation you have with them, eventually it comes round to their favourite football team. They may be wearing the jersey. Or, you know, uh, they may have gone to uh, various, uh, you know, um, the last thing that they did, the last major thing that they did was, was go to a match. It may be that drama's your thing, that you love acting. It may be that, uh, well, are you one of those parents who, who just talks about their children? You know? Oh, like uh, we were having coffee the other day. Oh, but my, my children did this. Do we know those parents? Do we recognise that? What is your passion? Do you go on about saving the environment to your friends? Or perhaps it's about your marital statement. Oh, my, my husband's wonderful. Or I wish I was married. I wish I had kids. I know plenty of my friends, you know, who are one or the other. Sadly, you know, singleness seems, or mar our marital status seems to define our lives nowadays. And somehow the conversation, again, comes back into the same place. 
What is your passion? What is your love? What is what comes out of your conversations? What do you revolve your life around? Now, unsurprisingly, the, the answer to those three questions, all three questions, are the same. And especially to the author of Psalm 119. And it's, some would say coincidental, but perhaps you might like to think, especially in this setting, that it's God's plan that uh, the Gideons were brought today. Psalm 19. Now, knowing that I'm, a, uh, I'm not a very busy person, Craig obviously gave me uh, the, the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, and as I read the psalm, I have to confess, I couldn't read it in one sitting. Uh, it is it's a very long uh, psalm. It's 117 verses. And what amazes me about reading this is that in the, uh, yeah, in the days of the, when the Bible was written, in fact, uh, all the way, most of the way through the Bible's history, the Bible was passed down through an oral t- tradition. Now... I can't remember anything. I know because I, as a, a mathematician, I, I try and remember as little as possible. Maybe two or three times a year I tell my students, this is something you need to remember. And because it's such a rare thing, um, it's important. They know that it's important because I say, I never remember anything. This is something you need to remember. Now stick up your hands if you remember uh, your phone number when you were a child, you know, when you were a young child, and I can see those people around my age and older who are sticking that with their hand, the, the, the phone number uh, of your childhood house, okay. Okay, how many of you remember a few, one or two phone numbers of your friends? Yeah, okay. How many of you actually know, apart from your own number, remember your number... A number, a couple of your friends' phone numbers now. No hands. No hand. Maybe one. Okay. Maybe one. Okay. But we we come to rely on on so much more nowadays. We've got the Bible. I've got the Bible on my phone. And I've got the Bible, you know, on my tablet. And we've got several Bibles there. And I've got various various Bibles around. 117 uh, verses. Imagine trying to remember that and passing it on. Now, the thing that makes uh, Psalm 119 slightly easier, um, because 117 verses, that's really quite difficult. There's two things that make remembering it slightly easier. For one thing, it's a song. We know that the Psalms are written as a song. And in uh, the kids' camps that I used to go on, we used to put little Bible verses to, to silly little songs. Um, like uh, Old MacDonald had a farm, we used to have uh, various verses to that. Or Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, we used to kind of that, you can hear the tune now, and we used to s- say verses to that. And if you listen to the background, uh, music in the background, I'm sure that if you, even if you've never made a conscious effort, to learn the lyrics to a song, you probably have a good idea of what the lyrics are, especially when it's been repeated. As if you're listening to radio now, they, they tend to have one or two songs, that they, maybe their Ed Sheeran song that they repeat again and again and again, you know. 
In fact, it's, uh, I know many Christians who actually will refuse to listen to secular songs um, and exclusively listen to Christian music. Firstly, because the lyrics reflect the scripture. And secondly, because they're afraid of what the influence of non-Christian music will be. And while you may think that listening to music is fairly harmless, um, if you th I, I want you to think about something. The, the lyrics are secular and almost exclusively, exclusively hedonistic and unhelpful, if you think about them. Their views about sex, about love, about uh, falling in and out of love, about the way that they can, you conduct yourself around, uh, around women, around men, that's unhelpful. The society's obsession with sex and love is certainly one that affects the worldview of young people today. And while you might lay the blame at TV and social media and film, you have to wonder what is getting lodged in people's minds as they listen to music and how, are they, how is that affecting them. The second thing that makes Psalm 119 easier to remember is it's something called acrostic, which means that it's listed alphabetically. And if you look down at your Bibles, if you turn to Psalm 119, you can see that each of the uh, eight, every eight verses, it has a word at the top. Now, those are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each is given eight verses. And each of those verses starts with the letter of the alphabet. Now that will make it a lot easier to remember. Now you might have come across alphabet songs before. Uh, one famous example, for example, and, and uh, an ex uh, a favorite of mine is from the, the musical Matilda. It's, uh, it starts with, so you think you're able to survive this uh, mess by being a prince or a princess. You will soon see that there's no escaping this tragedy. And it's a very clever song. Uh, much better than, than I can put across. But uh, Matilda's a great, great musical. Uh, and it does help when you're singing this song to know that the next letter is coming up. And that will help you remember it. Now, you might think that just starting each verse with the same letter would make it a little bit random. Like, aardvark is a creation of God that is a strange and wonderful creature. And an acrobat shows human nature. And an anaconda is a lovely long... That, that would be bizarre. But somehow, the author of this... Uh, this um, chapter, this song has made it into a much more flowing passage with each stanza having a theme. And as we read it now, I hope that you can see that we have the sense of each, you know, each section. We're not going to read the whole of the 117 verses, so yeah, sorry about that, otherwise we will be here uh, well past lunchtime. Um, I'm just going to read the first three sections. So, if you turn, if you haven't turned to it yet, let's have it in front. If you've got uh, the Bible on 
on your phone or something, then we are using ESV version. <coughs> so, Aleph. Blessed are those who are, uh, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will, I, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Beth. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that you, I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant. This is Gimel. Sorry. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner in the, on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Do not rebu rebuke the insolent, uh, sorry, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counsellors. So as we go on, I'm just going to pray and ask God to reveal his word to us. Father, we thank you that you have given and passed down your word, that you have made it clear where your passion lies. Lord, we pray that we can put aside the things, the distractions of this week and listen to what you have to teach us and that it can change our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. So let's keep that passage open to check what I'm saying. It's important that uh, you check with the passage uh, that I'm saying uh, what I'm saying is correct and that you agree with it. You might not, in which case come and see me afterwards and, and we can discuss it. I wonder whether you've spotted the theme of Psalm 119 and therefore the answer to my three questions. In verse 1 it talks about the law of the Lord. In verse 3, it talks about his testimonies. In verse 4, it talks about your precepts. It in verse 5, it talks about your statutes. You see, the answer is the Bible. The Word of God. <clears throat> and I wonder whether we considered these at all when answering those three questions. Where do you seek your wisdom? Where do you find your refuge? What is your passion and your love and your life? So you see, one, uh, 
one accusation that is leveled at the evangelical wing of the church, and that is what Craig will describe this church as. It's an evangelical church, and that's one thing that I will describe myself as. But one accusation leveled at the evangelical church is that they often value head knowledge over heart. And one accusation that's leveled at the charismatic wing is that they often forsake the learning of the word for the following of their hearts. The reason why I would call myself wholeheartedly evangelical is, and that's not to say that I don't also call myself charismatic, is that you cannot read these passages of the Bible. Passages like these, in fact, the vast majority of the Bible, you cannot read them and try and understand them and try and understand where the author is coming from without engaging your heart. Read it again, look down. And see the number of times he is using very emotive words. Do not utterly forsake me. With my whole heart I seek you. I have stored up your word in my heart. How can we analyze this? How can we engage with the author without engaging our heart? And over the 176 verses, the author mentions a word that refers to God's word in 175 of them. And when you read each of the stanzas, each of the eight verses, you begin to see that each contains a theme. And you begin to realize how amazingly beautiful and deep the Bible is. And you just have a glimpse of understanding. When you study a passage like this, a chapter like this, the words that say that God's word is God-breathed, spirit-inspired, come to start to have some understanding of that. And you have a taste that this is not just a human author here. So... Let's read the very first stanza again. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. See, we can see that uh, the author is talking about an ideal here. In the same way that a Sermon on the Mount is talking about an ideal. Blessed are those who are blameless. Obviously, only Jesus can say that he has done no wrong. But God's people, who are striving to be the saints, to be God's people, who have been forgiven, and therefore in the eyes of God, through the salvation of Jesus, are now clean. That is what we can say that is when we can say we are blameless. We don't always do right. And we don't always uh, follow his commandments, his precepts. But sometimes we do. We are blameless because Jesus died for us. We do try and keep his testimonies if we are his children. There are times when we do no wrong. 
because we are trying to follow Jesus' example. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. You can see that he's not saying that he's blameless or innocent or does no wrong. He's pleading with God, how, please help me to keep your statutes, that I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You can see in the second half, he knows that uh, the way to blessing is to keep the law of the Lord, to seek God with his whole heart, that if he keeps his eyes fixed on God's commandment, he will not be put to shame. So I come to my first question, where does your wisdom lie? This passage says, not in other people, not in wise elders, not in, uh, not in, so for this author, not in wise elders, not in his education or his upbringing or society's wisdom, certainly not in society's wisdom. It lies in the word of God. For this author, that is where his wisdom lies. And the second question, where does your refuge lie? Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. When he's being persecuted, when other people are plotting against him, what does he do? He goes back to the Bible and meditates on God's statutes. Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counsellors. The wisdom lies in the Bible. His refuge lies in the Bible. The ESV, if you've got the ESV in front of you, the top of the, uh, the chapter entitles this passage, Your word is a lamp to my feet. <coughs> Let's flick down to that section. It's on verse 105. 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. Now that is both wisdom and refuge, isn't it? It echoes the walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The dark times, the darkness. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Verse 106. I have sworn an oath and confirm it to keep your righteous rules. 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Where is his refuge? In God's precepts, his word. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Who's heard of the, word, uh, the, the book, The Hiding Place? The Hiding Place is a powerful biography written partly by Corrie ten Boom about herself, uh, about her family through the Second World War. She hid Jews during, uh, from the Nazis in, during the Second World War. The Hiding Place refers to Psalm 
119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and you are my shield. I hope in your word. For Corrie ten Boom, the Bible was her hiding place. When there is a crisis, don't comfort eat. Don't go and wrap yourself up in the, your, your duvet. Don't hide yourself away in your condo. Your hiding place should be the Word of God. I've told you a little bit in the past, those people who have been in this church for a while, about some of the persecutions I have faced. I can't say that I, I faced them in, with the same manner that this author seems to, or Corrie ten Boom. But at some of the worst times, I remember casting myself on God. And God held me and brought me half-remembered verses of, uh, of Bible verses to carry me through. If times are good, then I would plead with you to meditate on God's Word, to learn those Bible verses. Because who knows when a Bible will not be at hand. My final question is this. What is your passion, your love, your life? You see, what we love is what we centre our lives around. I know that if you come and talk to me, after a little, you know, very, very short while, you'll realise that I'm a teacher. Uh, that I talk about my students, that I talk about some of the things they've done, that I love educating. And sometimes I can come across a little bit like a teacher, like patronising because of it. I know that. Okay. It pairs with my passion for film and board games and reading and debating uh, quite well. But those will come out as well. Because I can use these to help me educate and inform and enlighten my students. I wish and I need to pray that I have the same passion for God and his word and the Bible. I need to learn to read the Bible daily. I confess <coughs> that the years that I've now been in Malaysia, and it's been a few years now, I'm still struggling to find that time, especially in the morning to set aside that time to read the Bible, to meditate on his word. Uh, but I hope that if you were to talk to me for a little while, not just church people, but if my colleagues and people I meet on the street, I know that I've talked with one or two taxi drivers about my faith, but it's been too few and far, uh, far between, uh, that my passion for God will come out. I think that after a while it does become obvious that I'm a Christian. I think I've become less shy about telling people that I moved here to Malaysia because God called me here. But I know that it's still far less than I will talk to people. Uh, you know, I'm far more embarrassed, far more shy than telling people, than telling people that, I'm, uh, that I'm a teacher and that I love teaching. And if you, if you don't feel that you can share your faith, then you have to wonder what is your passion. 
how many of your colleagues, how many of your non-Christian friends know that Christianity is a big part of your life? Are you hiding your light under a bushel? Or are you witnessing for God? Because there's no in-between part there. Either you're hiding your light or you're witnessing for God. So how can we make God our passion? Well, let's have a look at what the author says right here. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In your, the way of your testimonies I delight as much in your riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He's saying that you should spend your time reading the Bible. Meditate on the word. Grow to love it. My students often ask me, how do I study? How do I revise? Well, sometimes it's a case of just getting on with it. And sometimes it's changing your mentality to actually learn to love something. Talk to others about it. Look up commentaries. Find what other people have said, spoke passionately about it. There are some great sermons online. If you don't know any, then I can point some to you that have great Bible teaching. Really solid, solid, great Bible teaching, but are also passionate. Have a look up the Gospel Coalition. The Gospel Coalition uh, are are very good at having sermons that are passionate about the Bible. So this week, what I want to do is I want you to ask those three questions. And I've actually done what I advise my students to. I'm not very good at this, but I've advised my students when they need to memorize something or when they need to think about something regularly is to write a post-it note and put it on my wall. I put it actually right next to my computer, which is probably where I spend most of my time. It's a terrible thing. But it's right there. And the three questions are, where do you seek wisdom? Where does your refuge lie? What is your passion, your love, your life? Let me pray. Father, again, thank you that you have given us your word. That your wisdom is there for all to see. So often we choose to ignore it and we choose to go our own way. Forgive us for that, Lord. We know it's there. We know that you speak through it. And yet we choose to find our own answers. Lord, we forget you in times of crisis and we ask for your forgiveness there. We pray that you are our first call when we are in trouble. Lord, even even when I have had so many times where you've answered prayer and so many times when 
when things have been difficult and you have answered and you have held me through, carried me through that, Lord, often I forget to come to you. Lord, we pray for forgiveness when, when we forget you in those times of crisis. Lord, help us to rely on you. Lord, we know that as a loving, perfect Father, you are just longing for us to call for help, call for you. And even when we don't, you are still there sometimes. You carry us, you hold us, and you love us. Lord, you are also there longing to have a relationship with us, to engage with us, to hear our prayers, to teach us from your word. Lord, we pray that you, for, through the Bible, can be our passion, our life, our love, that as a fountain out of our hearts, flowing out of our mouths, we can just speak about you to others. And that we can long to read your word and engage with you every day. Lord, give us the discipline, the strength to every day sit down and meditate on your word, even when it's difficult. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank <laughs> you.